A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. And James, I think it is a goodly morning. Goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you, and goodly morning to you at home as well. It does feel goodlier than it has for quite some time. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. I like an element of goodliness in my life, you know. Um, and if Arsenal can provide that, then then all the better. And, you know, the, there's a lot to feel goodly about when you beat Jose Mourinho, because it doesn't happen that often. No, it doesn't. Not to us, at any rate. So, you know, let's savour it. Well, not you, know, to, you never know. Yeah when the next one's going to come along. Not to anyone, because they were on a remarkable, a remarkable unbeaten run, James. 25 games, 25 games. They were invincible for those 25 games, and in those 25 games, they they really set the standard, didn't they? They rose from the heady heights of sixth to fifth. Incre- just incredible stuff from, from United. So many draws. Ladies and gentlemen, the unwatchables. Here they come. <laughs> Uh, yeah, with Maran Fellaini as their spearhead. Oh, my uh, goodness. I mean, no, look, I, I don't miss them. I mean, you know, maybe they did miss him yesterday, but uh, mm. good, to, good to see the back of that unbeaten run. That is one of the worst unbeaten runs in recent memory, I would have to say. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of coming off the back of uh, uh, the Xhaka goal <laughs> coming off the back of Ander Herrera, I have to say... I mean, he's the, he's the kind of player that if he was on your team, you'd probably like him a lot because he's a snide little fuck and, you know, he, he he's cynical. He, he does those kind of fouls. But when you couple him with Manchester United, with Jose Mourinho, uh, and the fact that uh, he, he was screaming yesterday, I was, I was trying to figure out what on earth was going on. I was sitting there mm. working because I was doing the live blog, doing the match report. So I was, you know, not totally, totally 100% focused on everything that was going on. And I could just hear screaming. From times I was going, what is happening? Am I am I hearing things? Is there something? Am I having some kind of pre-stroke uh, episode here where I'm hearing screaming that there is no screaming? But no, <laughs> uh, according to Tim Stillman, it was the uh, the East Lower Stand screaming at Herrera because he had a big scream when he went down in the first half, pretending to hurt his head. Uh, maybe he did hurt his head. I don't know, but uh, I thought that was I thought that was fantastic. Some excellent fanning there from the Arsenal fans, you know, uh, who've been yeah. I suppose over the course of this season criticised for not getting behind the team enough. But if there's anything that brings football fans together quicker than a wanker on the other team I don't know what it is Absolutely. I mean, it was you couldn't pick a better player for that deflected goal to come off. Herrera is all kinds of evil. It's like Jose Mourinho extracted the DNA from Ramirez and sort of put it into a new player. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when Ramirez got sent out to China, he was like, oh, God, I'm going to have to find somebody else. And uh, so, Herrera, yeah. Herrera... Yeah. Go on. No, no, no. I was just gonna. I just had images of of uh, Jose Mourinho sucking the DNA out of Ramirez, um, and I just thought Watch I'd share image. that. Mm. Yeah, 
What an image. <laughs> uh, and also, let's not forget that Herrera obviously didn't get out to close Shaka down. He then turned his back. And that was put in such stark contrast by the greatest block attempt in Arsenal Street from Francis Coquelin later in the game. What the fuck was that? I had to, I paused the game. <laughs> As I was watching it, I was, I actually paused it and went back and I looked at it. I, I rewinded the game as it was going on and I had to go back and look at it. It was, I mean, Look, you can't fault the commitment, <laughs> I guess. I, I, I want someone to get that, put it in slow motion, and just put the Superman music over it. He just launches himself. I mean, it's it's genuinely one of the strangest things I've ever seen on a football pitch. Particularly as he just he, he gets nowhere near the ball, thankfully, because he's, he's, there, <laughs> he's got his hands in the air. Like, it could easily have been a penalty if the ball had hit his hand. I, I don't think you could, you know, I know the whole hands being in a natural position thing is a load of shit anyway, but, like, if you fly through the air and the ball hits your hand, there's going to be a penalty. But the, what made it amazing for me was, A, the fact that Rooney shot over for about the 12th time in the game, but, B, Coquelange, he just landed on his arse. Yeah. Just arse first on the ground after throwing himself in the direction of the ball. It was brilliant. The, the question is, is it a penalty if it's within the confines of the penalty box, but 50 feet in the air, with <laughs> Cockland <laughs> rising above above the, you know, the parapet of the stadium? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Look, the guy hasn't really had a place in the team of late. And let's just say he was prepared to put it all on the line to try and get back in the side that you can't fault. As you say, you cannot fault his commitment. No, true. You'd rather see that than a player doing what Herrera did. Um, that, that's for sure. Absolutely. That is for Absolutely. sure. And look, you know, there's uh, there's always something to enjoy after you win against Manchester United. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like we should just deal with that without having to go down the road of caveats about it not solving all our problems and everything else. But, you know, I... Going into the game, I really had no idea what was going to happen. I no idea whatsoever. I couldn't figure it out one way or the other, whether we were going to turn up, whether they were going to turn up, what sort of team they were going to put out, what, what way they were going to approach the game, how we might play. And in the early stages, I was a little bit worried because we got opened up a couple of times. I think Rooney had a, a header that went wide and he played a nice pass to Martial, who, who forced a save out of check. And you were looking at our back three and particularly down the left-hand side where Oxlade, or the right-hand side, uh, from our point of view, where Oxlade-Chamberlain I, I still think has issues defensively and you're going, ooh, it's actually a bit easy to to open us up. Um, and it was quite a lively opening 10, 15 minutes. It was. And actually, in that first half, you know, Petr Cech made two really important saves. He was, you know, the only guy who came away from White Hart Lane with any real credit, yeah. made some important stops in that game. And then two big ones in this one from, from Martial, you mentioned, and and later from Wayne Rooney uh, after that Aaron Rob Holding back pass. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, that was a, a little bit worrying. They seemed to be able to find space in the channels, but uh, it was a strange game because it felt like it started quite brightly and then it kind of... It kind of dropped off, and there was a period between, I don't know, about halfway through the first half and maybe the Granite Xhaka goal, just a bit into the second, where a lot of the intensity that you would associate with this fixture really kind of came out of the game. Absolutely. I mean, they were sitting so deep. I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll sum it up. Uh, here, is, here is the the live blog that I was doing yesterday. Minute 51, United Possession. Minute 51, this game is dull as fuck. Minute 51, <laughs> really needs something to liven it up. Like the introduction of a velociraptor. Two minutes later, 
Two minutes later, United possession. 53 on the 53 minutes. Nothing is happening. Uh, 54. <laughs> Gibbs gets free down the left. Then puts in the kind of cross to ensure that nothing continues to happen. But wait! Goal! And then we have Granit Xhaka's goal on, on 54 minutes, where it just felt like he was... He was so cheesed off with nothing happening. He said, well, fuck it, I might as well have a go here. Because it was unbelievably dull stuff. That that um, after that Rooney chance uh, in the first half, that period between the end of uh, of the first half and the first 10 minutes of the second half were just, it was like somebody, it was like in some ways Jose Mourinho had sucked the life out of the game like he sucked the DNA out of Ramirez. Indeed. Indeed, he's always sucking these things. But I, I uh, think that the, you know that's his plan, isn't it? He, you look at Juan Mata and Henrik Mkhitaryan on Sky. They pointed out how deep they were, always mm. playing as kind of second fullbacks. And we've seen him go to places like Anfield this season and produce these incredibly dull games. And that was clearly the game plan here. I mean, he did leave a couple of big players out, Pogba and Rashford on the bench, and it looked like he came to the Emirates Stadium and thought, right. I'm just going to shut this game down. Hopefully they won't, you know, be too confident after losing at Spurs and I'll be mm. able to come away with a draw. Yeah. Uh, and it needed, I guess it needed a, a stroke of luck to change that. But, you know, in, in the case of Xhaka, I mean, uh, you know, Gary Neville said on the television, he was like, oh, when I got, he got the ball there, I thought he's not going to shoot from there. I was at home thinking, do you know what? A lot of the time these cries of shoot for Xhaka are probably inappropriate but in this instance why not I mean genuinely there was nothing doing there was nothing going on there wasn't much movement in the Arsenal team United mm. was so packed defensively it's that old adage if you don't buy a ticket you can't win the lottery and if you don't you know aim the ball roughly at Ander Herrera you can't see him fuck up like that so <laughs> you might as well you might as well have a go and obviously it was very fortuitous but uh, look I was delighted by it yeah sure look I, I think there is an element of uh, of good fortune certainly in the finish but when you look at the way that move happened. We had a throw over on uh, our right-hand side. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain mm -hmm. sort of threw the ball bobbling into midfield. Uh, infield, like you very rarely see that kind of a throw-in because teams are set up and organized and they just don't allow you to do that if you look at how slowly the ball came to Xhaka it was bouncing there wasn't a United player anywhere near him it was remarkable because uh, part of what makes Mourinho's sides effective and good at shutting down games like this and getting the draws is ensuring that this really basic stuff does not happen that when someone throws the ball in they're going to have a man on them certainly when you're in uh, side of the United area so it was really weird to see United so standoffish uh, and I think that's a mistake, clearly a mistake for Manchester United. If if it had been at the other end, we would be going absolutely berserk at our players not closing down the opposition and, and giving someone like Xhaka, who is capable of hitting the ball well from distance, time to shoot. Of course, there was some luck when it, it hit off Herrera's back, but um, that's their own fault for not defending the throw-in well enough, if you ask me. Yeah, it's it's a double it's a double uh, fault from Herrera really because not only does he turn his back but he he's the guy really who should be getting out to Xhaka uh, and any player really thirty yards from goal you know shouldn't be allowing them a, a free crack on on target so uh, yeah it was an unusual defensive error but one we capitalised upon and I guess uh, I mean it was it was quite the three minutes wasn't it because it felt I was still kind of uh, celebrating the first goal almost when the the second went in yeah yeah I do like that. 
uh, when you score a couple of goals in really quick succession. Uh, we were on the wrong end of it last week, of course, uh, in the North London derby, and you know how debilitating it is to a team when that happens because you haven't even got time to consolidate or get get yourself organised again from the first one, and now you're another goal down, and that really does damage confidence and belief and your ability to get back into a game. Um, and, uh, you know, a good goal, a really good really good finish from Danny Welbeck but I've uh, got to give some props to Rob Holding who kept the ball alive very well on the right hand side um, you know he, he won the tackle and then played the ball to Oxlade Chamberlain great cross and Welbeck's header was absolutely brilliant not only did it fly past the keeper it went in off the underside of the crossbar which as we know makes a goal about 40% better yeah, it really does. I mean, this was one of those where you could sort of hear it crack off the crossbar, which I, I really enjoyed. I mean, it's probably not actually the best technique. Probably people would say, get it down, you know, make sure you don't knock it over the bar. But aesthetically, mm. absolutely beautiful. And Oxlade Chamberlain produced a brilliant cross um, at Old Trafford, wasn't it, for Olivier Giroud to, to sort of equalise her there. Uh, and another, another very good one in this game. Uh, and yeah, look... I love Danny Welbeck scoring against Manchester United and celebrating. It's such a simple thing, but I take such pleasure in it. The fact that he celebrates. Yeah, well, I, I like the goals, but the fact that he celebrates, yeah, I like his kind of one-man crusade to put an end to this no-celebration nonsense. <laughs> it is, you know, you can sort of, sort of understand it if it's a player who's you know, has been at a club a really long time and maybe the goal is damaging in some way. You know, I can sort of see it. I, I'm not necessarily on board with it, but I kind of understand it to an extent. But uh, I think you're absolutely right. There's just no no thought in his mind that I'm not going to celebrate. I mean, United said basically to Danny Welbeck, we don't think you're good enough. You can go. Um, and why shouldn't he celebrate? That's what he said afterwards. You know, when you score, you're happy. Why wouldn't you celebrate? So... That's it. And, and I saw a stat uh, on Twitter from Chris Wheatley uh, who said that the the goal, a Chamberlain cross for Welbeck, was the first time that two English players have combined for a Premier League goal for Arsenal since December 2014. The oh. British core is back. So who was who was December 2014? Is it Ox that was and also Walcott? Chamberlain Chamberlain for Welbeck at West Ham, away at West Ham. Wow. Wow, yeah, those, those two have got a thing going on, don't they? Just, yeah. you know, three years apart. <laughs> to be fair, Danny Welbeck has basically been injured for all that time. So maybe they do have a really productive understanding. Yeah, what, what did you think of Welbeck up front? Uh, I, I don't think he had any choice. Arsene Wenger said after the game that, you know, his goal-scoring record against Manchester United was a factor and the fact that he, you know, would give that bit extra against his old club, that was a factor in his selection as well. But, I mean, I, I, I can't believe that that was really really his decision it was because I think Olivier Giroud had been uh, so poor uh, and the team had been so poor against Tottenham that he had to change something and he really didn't have any other option yeah I think he's being kind to Giroud there I mean look Welbeck's record against United is good I think it's mm. three goals he scored against them now which is not not too bad at all but I think you know Welbeck had to start for me and actually I mean we'll probably get on to the defense but I was encouraged by the starting lineup when it came out. I wanted to see Welbeck in at centre forward, mm. and I wanted to see Rob Holding in at centre back too. I thought there was were two, you know, bigish calls from Arsene Wenger, uh, and I think they both paid dividends. I know Holding had some nervy moments, but Welbeck, 
you know, we're just a better side. There. He, we're, we're just more flexible in attack with him there. He's able to interchange with Alexis. He offers a bit of movement in behind. This wasn't a game in which he saw loads of the ball. Uh, and, and I, you know, I don't dispute that Olivier Giroud probably could have scored that goal that he scored too. But I just think we look a more functional attacking unit with him there. In yeah. this system, certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I, I think he he should get a run of games, to be perfectly honest. Um, the goal will have done his confidence a lot of good. You can see there are moments where he's almost doubting himself. You know, there was one moment where he took a ball down brilliantly in the box and his second touch was, was awful. Um, but I do feel like maybe if he got a run of games between now and the end of the season, he could he could produce for us. And we do have Giroud on the bench as as that plan B, if you like, uh, and an an effective one as well. People in their, uh, I suppose, disenchantment with seeing Giroud starting games, it's easy to forget that he can be a really effective guy when you need him off the bench. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think, you know, there's plenty to play for in our league campaign still, but we've got to have one eye on the cup final. And I think it's kind of about getting the team in shape for that. And I, I want Welbeck to be starting at Wembley, and I think we need to bed him in over the next few games. And as you say build his confidence up. I really hope, I mean, we don't know exactly what his fitness is like, but I really hope he's continuing in the starting lineup at Southampton on, on Wednesday. Mm. So, three at the back again, Rob holding in for Gabriel. Interesting that holding, of course, was played on the right-hand side of the the back three. Uh, he played mm. on the left-hand side of the back three when Gabriel was playing uh, on the other side. Um, Mustafi, obviously... It's not yeah. the... Yeah, it's not the back three you would necessarily uh, imagine. You know, Koscielny, of course, but Monreal on one side, kind of a, a repurposed fullback, and then holding on the other, a, a, a young player. You know, in a big game against Manchester United, that's quite an unconventional back three to have gone with. I know mm. Arsenal's options are limited to an extent. But, uh, I mean, you can't argue with the clean sheet, can you? No, not really. Um, and I think when Mustafi comes back in, I'd be quite interested to see a back three of... Mustafi, Koscielny and Holding just to see mm. what that would be like. You know, you made the point a couple of weeks ago that Mustafi has played a lot of football at, at right back, so should be able to slot into that right central defensive role pretty well, and it will give him a bit more license to, to push up the way that he likes to push up, knowing that Koscielny will be behind him and he'll have uh, he'll have uh, Holding in there as well. And I think, you know, then you're looking at Monreal back at wing back. Uh, if you've got that yeah. back three, I think that gives us more on the, on the left-hand side going forward. I thought Kieran Gibbs was grand, but once he got into the final third, there wasn't a lot going on, whereas I think Monreal is a bit more productive. And what will be an interesting one for me is Oxlade-Chamberlain versus Hector Bellerin. Um, yeah, it's, I think the manager's got a bit of a, a decision to make there um, in the long it's term. isn't it? Yeah. I mean... I, I had a horrible thought yesterday, uh, and I, I hope I'm wrong about it, but you don't think there's any sort of sense of, well, uh, there's been a lot of all these stories in the Spanish-Catalan media about Bellerin, you know, this is the perfect summer to get him. You don't think there's any sense of Oxlade-Chamberlain being a, a better long-term bet in terms of his future with the club? Mm, I, I think he's probably the right man for this moment. For this moment in time, yeah. in that he's he's obviously producing, he's feeling quite confident, he seems to be relatively happy in that position. It, it, it's able to get a bit out of him from an attacking point of view, but I do feel like 
it's not really where he's going to end up in in the very long term. Um, although, you know, you look at someone like Victor Moses doing that job at, at Chelsea and you're thinking, well, I never would have had Victor Moses down as a, a regular starter for Chelsea and certainly not in, in that position. But but he's doing it. But I do wonder, you know, if it's just a case that uh, the Ox is in decent form and his confidence is up. And Hector, I mean, even when he came on yesterday, Hector Bellerin, in the last couple of minutes, there was a moment when I think it was Rashford went down the left-hand side uh, for United and and Hector, he just looks slow. He looks sluggish. I don't quite know what it is, whether it's a fitness thing or anything else. But, you know, when they celebrated the goal, uh, Welbeck uh, celebrated the goal, he came over and did some handshakes with Alex Iwobi. You know, Hector was there on the sideline looking very happy and, you know, he doesn't look particularly disgruntled. But, you know, I I feel like if it's something we're going to stay with, uh, this back three, if if Arsene Wenger does stay, and if we are going to stay with a back three, I think I would prefer to see Bellerin as the right wing back in the long term. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that makes sense. I mean, if you're sticking with the back three, I think we've got potentially one of the very best wing backs in the world in Hector Bellerin. I mean, the system could you know, couldn't be designed better for his strengths, really, in terms of what he offers going forward. I think where Oxlade-Chamberlain has the edge at the moment, partly is his final delivery. I mean, Bellerin is definitely stronger defensively, especially having played right back all this time. But I can't remember too many crosses this season from Bellerin, quite of the calibre that Oxlade-Chamberlain is producing at the moment. Mm. Uh, And I think that's probably in Arsene's mind. I also wonder if, you know, we talked about Bellerin's future. Let's not forget Oxlade-Chamberlain's future is up in the air too. And maybe there's an extent to which... As well as Ox is playing, Arsene's wanting to make him feel valued and part of the team. We've seen that before. You remember when Theo Walcott was in contract negotiations, suddenly he was playing every week and getting chances up front and yeah. what have you. <laughs> and I do wonder if there's a bit of you know pacification going on there because you know Ox's future is not guaranteed. So at the moment, it feels like the right call. And it's there's not much time, is there, between now and the end of the season? If you've got one eye on the cup final, there's not much time for Bellerin to come back in and re-establish himself. And it's mm. not like we have fixtures in which we can afford to uh, experiment. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be very interesting because I read Oxley chamberlain recently talking about how he missed out in the 2014 FA Cup final. He didn't get in the squad that day because mm. he'd been injured and he was absolutely good at not to have been part of the squad and obviously was delighted we won the Cup but felt a bit dis- uh, detached from it on the day. And again, I think there was an issue in the 2015 final where he didn't start and again he felt very... Um, unhappy about that because of course every player wants to start uh, an FA Cup final at Wembley I think he came on and he made didn't he make the the last goal for Giroud I think he got down the right hand side and Giroud scored the fourth goal against Aston Villa so he did combine he came on and made a contribution on the day but I, I I'm sure now this time around that he has got the FA Cup final very much in his sights uh, and yeah. I wonder, you know, if that's going to play a part in the manager's thinking about what he does in terms of his team on that day. I mean, look, there's still, what, four games to go in the Premier League, so there's a lot of football still to play before that. So I think he's going to have to rotate that uh, position a little bit between Bellerin and Oxlade-Chamberlain, but I think Oxlade-Chamberlain has the upper hand at this moment in time. I just wonder if it's the long-term, the best long-term solution for him and for us. So we'll see. But look, it's a good problem to have. 
it's a good problem to have and basically it's a problem caused by a player being in in really good form. So, uh, yeah, I mean, f- uh, if there is an opportunity to rotate, I'm looking at the fixtures now, you- you'd have to think that Sunderland home game, you'd never want to take anything for granted, but that would be the one probably, wouldn't it, when Arsene might change it around it a bit. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, we've got two games this week, though. We've got Southampton away on Wednesday, we've got Stoke away on Saturday, so I think there may well mm. be... There, there, there may well be a need to rotate a little bit as well. Uh, slightly worrying that Granit Xhaka uh, went off injured, seemed to have a bit of a calf problem. We're not quite sure how serious that might be at this moment in time, but that would be a bit of a blow as well, wouldn't it? Because um, he's, I, I think yesterday he really showed what he can bring to this team in the sense that he, he passed the ball beautifully, spread the ball. There was some. He's got this really interesting technique when he when he passes the ball. Have you noticed it? The the way that he sort of wraps his foot around the ball. Yeah. It's it's almost like a kind of top spin on chip. a or a yeah. top spin on a tennis shot or something. He, he, and what it means is that when the ball hits the deck, it kind of it kind of dies. It doesn't really bounce or roll on significantly, I, I, I seem to find. So mm. he's able to sort of place it, drop it almost into the path of players. It, mm. it is fascinating. That calf problem, is that what he was struggling with in the build-up to the game. No, I think that was an ankle problem that he had, that he got an, a kick on the ankle during the Tottenham game, and mm. that was the problem. He had a swollen ankle, but whether the swollen ankle has played into a calf problem, I don't know if it was even the same one, but when he was getting treatment on the pitch, he was certainly talking to uh, Colin Lewin and and uh, you know pointing to the back of his calf, so that would be a, a bit of a worry, um, because I think... It would be a shame. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. he... Not only was he uh, very good yesterday, I mean, some great passing numbers in terms of his, his accuracy and just the sheer amount of distribution he was he was managing to get in. Uh, I mean, granted, we see Shaka at his best when teams do tend to sit deep and sit off him. I think, you know, when he's put under close pressure, uh, that's when he's he still needs to improve in those areas. But when he's got time on the ball, he's so effective. But the, the other thing about Shaka, of course, is that his partnership with Aaron Ramsey, I thought, looked as good as it has yesterday. And Ramsey had his best game for a while in my eyes yeah I mean his movement was superb we know he's great at getting into the box and uh, the timing of his runs was really excellent he's you know he he got on almost got on the end of a great Alexis pass and he and Alexis seemed to to work quite well together in the sense that uh, Alexis knew Ramsey was going to be making those runs and I think it's really important when you're when you're trying to break down a team who are sitting deep and parking the bus the way Manchester United did, that you have a player who at least tries to get between the lines, at least gives you an option to try and find a pass. Some of Alexis's passing was wayward, as it always is, but there were some great moments between him and Ramsey. I mean, Alexis went berserk, didn't he, at one point when uh, he put Ramsey in behind. Ramsey was strong, played the ball back for Welbeck, and, and Alexis wanted a pass back into his path. But, uh, you know, the, there were some promising signs there. There were a couple of, you know, iffy moments from Ramsey, but he worked really hard um, and he is a guy who can who can try and make things happen particularly noticeable yesterday when both Alexis and Ozil were very deep they were looking to influence the game from deep areas from from in front of the Manchester United defense so without someone like Ramsey giving you uh, runs into the box and pulling defenders away it's going to be very difficult to do that 
Yeah, I don't know. Did you see Arsene Wenger's um, interview with Thierry Henry before the game? Mm. Uh, it, it seems somewhat prescient now looking back because Arsene was asked about the new system, the three at the back and, and his reasons for introducing it. And one of the things he cited was that he felt it gave a player like Ramsey the security to break forward, knowing that there's an extra defender behind to cover. It enables him to do that. Uh, which, you know, proved to be the case during the game. But another thing was that Thierry Henry asked Arsene Wenger about Alexis Nurzel dropping so deep all the time, particularly mm. in the Spurs game he, he referenced. Um, and Arsene again talked about how, you know, both are players who sort of want to come to the ball and get involved in the build-up. I don't know, what do you make of it, really? I mean, I was watching the game yesterday thinking... Alexis is making some good passes from deep, but I can't help but wish we could get him on the ball in, in more advanced areas too. Yeah, for sure. Or get him on the end of passes like the ones that, that he's making, because again, his movement is, is really fantastic. I don't think Arsene Wenger was that convincing when he was talking to Thierry Henry about that, because Henry was saying, look, if me and, who was it, Dennis Bergkamp, did he say? I can't remember. But if, if we yeah, had been picking the ball up that deep in front of our centre halves, they would have gone mad. They would have, you know, gone crazy at us. Um, I said Gilberto and Vieira would be telling us to oh, get yeah, out yeah, of yeah. their zone. That's exactly yeah. what it was, yeah. And I, I don't think Arsene Wenger had a really good answer when it comes to Ozil and, and Alexis, and I do wonder if there's an element of him somewhat just accommodating them for, mm. for you know, to keep them happy in a way, whereas I think he could demand a little bit more from them. Uh, I think they could help uh, stretch the play a bit more than they do. And I thought there were some good signs. There was some nice stuff from Ozil yesterday as well, uh, some good runs. But I do feel like this three at the back, if it has made us a bit more defensively solid, I think there's still work to do in terms of how exactly we balance ourselves from an attacking point of view. Because if, if Xhaka is nominally the one guy who's holding to give Ramsey that security to go forward... Ramsey's got to get a bit more support from uh, the striker, I guess, but also from Alexis and Ozil, um, who've got to be a little bit more ambitious themselves rather than sitting as deep as they did. Um, I'd like to, to see a little bit more, but I guess it's uh, it's trying to figure out exactly how to do that and how to make those those movements count. Yeah, that's it. I think you're right. I think we are more defensively solid and are... Our record shows that. We've managed to keep clean sheets against Leicester and now Man United. But yesterday was the first game that we've won by more than a one-goal margin with this system. So, you know, it's not like we're a particularly devastating attacking force right now. And I think partly that's confidence, of course, but I also think it's a, a tactical thing of players not not really uh, fully understanding their roles yet. And I think in the case of particularly Alexis almost, I think... Uh, kind of understandably, he's probably being a little bit indulged and given a, a level of freedom that yeah. that benefits us, us in some ways, but in others doesn't necessarily help. And I think, actually, the, the, the centre-forwards in this system have generally struggled to have much of an impact in the game. I know it's mainly been Olivier Giroud and we think he's been ill-suited to the system, but even when Welbeck has come on, he hasn't necessarily uh, been granted enough space by players stretching the play or had brilliant service. So I think on the attacking front, you know, that we still need to click into gear, really. Yeah, I do wonder, you know, because there's such an onus on the wing-backs to get forward and to produce in those final third, in the final third, rather, that when they do that, everything else sort of has to come central. Mm. And it feels like it's a little bit difficult to break down opposition if they do what United did yesterday uh, and sit really, really deep, that perhaps it doesn't provide you with as much space as it 
as it might or as you would hope. So I do think there's work to do from from an attacking point of view or, or figuring out ways to to pull defences apart a little bit more um, and involving the centre forward. I think so. But I think also if you look at Chelsea playing this system or even Spurs when they use it, they do tend to score quite a lot of goals on the counter-attack. You know, the mm. pace of Hazard, the pace of Pedro, um, you know, San at, at Spurs. And, and I think uh, we were doing that in the early part of the season with Ozil and Alexis breaking at speed and uh, Walcott too. Mm. But we haven't, we haven't really done that as effectively in the second half of the campaign. And uh, I think that is linked with confidence and conviction and making the right decisions on the break. Uh, and let's hope that can come back sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Our counter-attacking is... Uh, it leaves a lot to be desired. As much as you yeah. say confidence and belief has got to, uh, to play a part, you know, just basic decision-making and moving the ball more quickly would really help in that regard. So, um, yeah, it would be good to see... It would be good to see an improvement there. I do wonder if we do have players who just like to take too many touches on the ball rather than move it and shift it and you know get on, get on the end or get into the space and try and find a pass. So uh, we'll yeah, see. we've got a few of those. I mean, yeah. you know, Alexis is obviously one. Even Ramsey was great. Yes, he, he can be prone to an extra touch, and there yeah. were a couple of chances yesterday for us to break efficiently, and we didn't quite. Mm manage it so yeah that's definitely something to keep an eye on yeah 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 but uh in general then as difficult as top four is going to be and i still think it is going to be very difficult um liverpool drop points against southampton who of course we play on wednesday and you know if we can win our games and if they keep dropping points then suppose it's not out of the question that we might finish there but it is about following up what we did yesterday with a win uh, at St Mary's um, which is going to be easier said than done yeah I, I think that's a, a really tough game I mean it's two tough games this week isn't it it's two grounds where traditionally of late we, we don't fare particularly well St Mary's and then uh, Stoke mm. at the weekend uh, and a good result for Southampton a, a bad result for Liverpool really who I can't believe keep kind of just leaving the door ajar, they should really be qualified for the top four by now, mm. uh, especially without having had any European distractions. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess our slim hopes are alive. I've, I spent last night sort of doing sums and looking at the fixtures, uh, and I think Liverpool are our only hope. I think City's games are kind of too easy, really. I think they've got some very winnable matches. Mm. I think they'll be fine. Liverpool ought to be all right, but... I don't know. Hopefully, they just keep stumbling and we keep winning. But it's it it's still a big big ask, I think, given our yeah. given our games. I mean, even Everton on the final day is not an easy one. No, no, not at all. But look, you know, um, we did it yesterday. Neither of us predicted a win. We both predicted. Well, I predicted a, a defeat, um, and you predicted uh, a draw for that one. So mm. we were both pleasantly wrong. I'm glad to be completely wrong. However, I hope I'm right. Um, for this one, uh, oh Southampton, yeah, I've got a win for Southampton, and you've got a draw. So um, let me let's hope that we're both. Uh, well, one of us is right this time. That would be good. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice. I, I uh, and also I really enjoy because I'm so used to after uh, top six games. Um, seeing <clears throat> seeing stats about Arsene Wenger's record and you know how many games Arsenal haven't won in these competitions, yeah. it's so nice to see some stats about Jose Mourinho going around yesterday, never having won a league fixture at the Emirates Stadium and not having scored away against a top six side for 
a long time. I can't even remember what it is. It was it was long enough that I you know took a lot of satisfaction from it. Now, so that was nice to see a bit of a change. I think it's near. It's nine hundred and thirteen days since he last beat a top six side away from home. Jose so, Mourinho. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Nine and thirteen days. If he if he fails to win at Spurs in a couple of weeks' time, he'll pass the big thousand mark. So, yeah, I'm you know nice to see the tables turned a little bit. There. Yes, it is. It is okay. Well, good. Yes, um, I, I'm I'm all for everything that makes uh, Jose Mourinho unhappy or sad or indeed uh, turns people against him in a very real uh, way. So. Sure, sure. Pitchforks and all that. All right. um, Anything else? Catch your eye from the weekend, or shall we take a break and come back with questions? Um, I think let's take a break and come back with some questions. All right. Let's do that then. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Before we get into those, just want to uh, remind you that there are a very few tickets left for our live Arsecast Extra FA Cup final week, uh, Thursday, May 25th at Union Chapel in the bar upstairs. It's going to be, uh, it's a lovely room. We did our very first uh, live podcast there, James. Um, we did indeed. Mm. Returning home. Returning home at long last. Um, <laughs> so there are a few tickets left, but I think they're only available through the Union Chapel website. So if you're looking, go to unionchapel.org.co.uk. No, unionchapel.org.uk. That's what it is. Unionchapel.org.uk. Uh, you'll see a What's On link. Click there and you can buy tickets uh, for the Arscast Extra. Um, as I said on the blog, James, we're not Natalie Imbruglia, unfortunately. We, we can't play down in the, in the main, the beautiful main room, but. Well, it's nice. We'll go and have a look at it before and just marvel at its beauty. But this is a pretty room nonetheless, and it's got a bar in it, hasn't it? As it's well? got a bar. The bar is going to stay open late, I think. And uh, we can have a few beers uh, before, during, and after, some good FA Cup chat, and everything else. So uh, come, please, uh, please join us. That would be great. Yeah, be lovely to see you there. It certainly would. Now, you bought a Roy Hodgson mask at the weekend. What? Why did you do that? I've got it on my desk now. I'm looking at it. Um, why did I buy it? Well, I was <laughs> I was in Brighton, um, and I was walking along, and I was it was in sort of one of those strange tourist shops that sells like you know, a little miniature Big Ben that's actually a functioning clock and things like that. Right. And there was a, a stall outside, and it just had. 
it was, I think it was the sort of thing where you would imagine they would have all different masks of different celebrities, mm. but it was just entirely Roy Hodgson masks. It was just like this huge wall of Roy Hodgson masks. And it was available for three ninety nine. I don't know if it was more when he was England manager or, you know, if it's come down since, or maybe, maybe they're more valuable now because they're at a premium. You can't get them as easily. Um, but I, I don't know. I bought it. I mean, I'll wear it at the live Ask Cast Extra, if you like, for the yes. entire thing. Well, not for all of it, but it certainly I think it would, be, uh, it would be fun for about eight seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing. And if you can't spend three ninety nine on eight seconds, then what sort of position are you in? I mean, I don't know when it'll be useful, but I know it will be eventually. Mm. We, we will find out. Keep listening, guys. In one week, I'll report back and say, remember when I bought that? cardboard mask of Roy Hodgson's face you'll never believe how handy it proved last week yeah. I, I can't wait to that day and all the doubters out there who thought this purchase was mere folly they'll apologise to me and to say James you were right all along congratulations on such an astute acquisition well done there, there is a shop in uh, in town here that, that sells these weird masks uh, mm. I know the kind and they, they have loads of weird odd celebrities like I don't know, Ozzy Osbourne and, you know, yeah. people who are famous but you haven't thought about for years and years and years. And they have these masks of them on the on the thing. Just the idea of a Roy Hodgson-only mask shop is something else, though, isn't it? it? It is bizarre. I mean, the good thing that you know about that shop, because obviously you can decide who you want to be at the Ask Us Extra Live. You know, you can find your own mask. Oh, what? my God, speaking of celebrities you haven't thought about. Go on. must... I tell you what, I think I've got my first question, actually. Oh, yeah? Um, hang on, let me have a look. Okay. It came in last night from Garrett Krutzeiger, who's at Garrett K on Twitter. He's written it all in caps, so he's obviously... Oh, he's very in serious. ...real distress, yeah. Guys, I need you... He's got almost no punctuation as well. Oh, my God, he's... Pure a, panic. Yeah, yeah, he's off he's his really box. straight up. Yeah, he's fucked. Guys, I, I need you to discuss this. Alexis just shared a video of him and his dogs with Phil Collins playing in the background. What do I feel? You feel... Betrayed? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Someone sent it to me last night on Twitter and I meant to actually uh, r respond to them. They said, uh, you've got to check out Alexis Sanchez's new story on Instagram. So um, in the middle of all my work, I took a couple of moments and opened up my Instagram and looked at it. And I said, oh, look at the two dogs. They're, they're so happy together. They're, they're having a great time. And then, and then I noticed the soundtrack. I think it was, um, what's that, the one about where he, the man is begging on the street and Phil Collins just goes up to him and, like, pisses on his head and uh, steals his money and, you know, he's a bag lady guy. Um, I think that's just a documentary about Phil Collins' life, yeah, isn't it? I don't uh, know. Uh, the, 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 Another Day in Paradise, that one. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah so yeah. it's that song and that terrible piano thing. And uh, Well, look, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that Alexis Sanchez is is a flawed, flawed character. He's, a, mm. he's a, at times an amazing footballer, and other times he gives the ball away ridiculously cheaply. Other times you're going, wow, look at the character he's got. And then you go, well, that's not the, that's not the best way to behave, Alexis Sanchez. He loves his dogs. He loves dogs like, like no man loves dogs, really. And I love that about him. He's, he's got Adam and Humber and he, he showers them with love and affection. They're a huge part of his life. And that's something to admire and something to cherish. But then he also, 
plays Phil Collins music to his dogs, which I think is, is cruel and unusual punishment. I guess the thing yes. we, yeah, you know, so it's just part and parcel. There's, there's good Alexis and there's bad Alexis. There's two. He's like the angel and the devil on the shoulder. And, and Alexis and Hyde. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and this is obviously, this is part of the evil Alexis. There's of no course. other explanation for it. There is no other explanation. I mean, most Instagram stories are evil in some capacity or other, I believe. But he, yeah, I mean, look, we he's sent to test us, isn't he? He gives us mixed messages and he's testing our unconditional love. Mm. Uh, we can forgive him, I think, in this instance. He, he, he Forgive him, he knows not what he does. I don't forgive him. I, don't, I, 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 <laughs> I compartmentalise it. I, 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 I just put it in a little box go, that goes... Don't think about that. You know, okay. you know that box that lives in your mind. Yeah, yeah. Where you go, oh, oh it's uh, brimful of me. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't want to <laughs> think about that. Just leave it in there, and eventually, you know, it'll gnaw away at you and come out in one way or another. But uh, for for the moment, that's where I leave it. So I don't forgive him. I don't condone that kind of behavior in any way. Uh, I think it's reprehensible. But you know, score me a winner in the FA Cup final, Alexis Sanchez, and you can you can play. Phil Collins as much as you like because mostly I don't have to fucking listen to it. So that's that's the thing. Do you know what Imagine we should if do? We did Oh go on. Go yeah. on. What we need clearly is for Jose Mourinho to suck the evil out of Alexis Sanchez the way that he sucked the DNA out of Ramirez. Oh God! Hopefully not exactly the same way. If I'm imagining it in my head, certain way. Well, I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking like a vampire, James. What? What were you thinking? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, like a vampire, definitely. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. James. For goodness sake. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, no. that'd be good. Imagine if Alexis did score the winner in the FA Cup final, and then the evil Wembley Tannoy played Phil Collins at the final whistle in celebration. Oh. How would you feel at that point? Uh, I would be, I would be conflicted. I won't, I won't yeah. lie. I won't yeah. lie. <laughs> but I, I think my enjoyment of winning the FA Cup final would be, would be enough to, to get me over it. I think I'll bring some earplugs just in case. I keep seeing these ads for these, um, earplugs that you can wear when you're on a plane. They pop up all over. Um, every time I look at Facebook, um, they're there. Some kind of weird. So they, they he knows of, you're into them. Weirdly. Well, maybe oh, it's, it's. What have you been googling? N- nothing. Nothing. I don't Google anything. <laughs> <laughs> or so what, whatever what, I Google is in that box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> what was it? The lock box. The secret lock box. What is it about these earplugs that makes them plane specific? If that makes any sense. I don't know. Apparently, they block out all the noise of everything. They block out, like, the engine noise and the, the noises that are in your head. But I, I don't think I would like that. I don't think I'd like total silence in my head. No. The minute you have that total silence, the, the, you can just hear the... And there's that box opening up going, hello! Yeah, that's it. Remember us! That's it. No, thank you. Yeah, so, so I'd rather have the hum of the plane mm. uh, and the, the questions about my in-flight meal um interesting well that's odd that they keep serving you that i don't know what i don't know what it is about you that makes facebook think we know how we're going to make our money out of this guy and it's earplugs yeah i don't either but uh basically fuck facebook um okay but do keep sending in your questions via facebook yes indeed please we love you we love you speaking of facebook (laughs) here is a question from andrew todd well it's not really andrew todd he says dead cat bounce 
Right? Mm. A dead cat bounce is a small brief recovery in the price of a declining stock, derived from the idea that even a dead cat will bounce if it falls from a great height. The phrase, which originated on Wall Street, <sighs> bankers killing cats. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's nothing that those fuckers won't do. Anyway, it's also popularly applied to a case where a subject experiences a brief resurgence following a severe decline. Arsenal feline happy for the moment. Discuss. Did our dead cat bounce? Wow. Does a dead cat bounce if it's clipped perfectly by Granite Shaka, or does it just stop dead because <laughs> he's got such skill on the wall he can just kill a pass like mm. that? Um, I well, is this the dead cat bounce? I guess of Arsenal, maybe, maybe there feels something very temporary about our successes at the moment. You know the mm. the FA Cup semi final win, the win yesterday. There. Uh, in other circumstances, you might embrace it as, oh, we've switched formation and it's getting us some positive, unexpected results. But even the manager himself, you mentioned it earlier, seems cautious to <sighs> embrace this idea that there's been any kind of real shift. I think he would almost call the changes superficial, mm. probably. Uh and so it's difficult to know what kind of long-term impact it might have. You don't know if we'll get to the summer and maybe the manager goes and maybe everything goes back to the drawing board and this template is being ripped apart. I think that's the issue, isn't it? You want results to feel like something to build upon, but we're dealing in such a short-term mindset at the moment, just looking to the cup final and nothing beyond that, that it's difficult to know how, how much progress we're really making. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, there's still a long way to go to convince people that we're back on track or on the right track, you know? Yeah. Um, so whether whether it's our dead cat bouncing or not, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, I think the formation is still an issue. I, I, I still don't believe that Arsene Wenger is completely convinced by it. He was asked about it on Sky yesterday and was like, well, you know, it's a formation. And he didn't want to seem to say, yes, the formation has been really good for us. Uh, so whether he, he doesn't want to make the players think that everything is sorted and wants them to keep working on it or whether he's not convinced by it himself, I'm not a 100% sure. But yeah, look, we, we've got to get to the end of the season uh, four more games to play. If we can come out of those four games with the right results, then you might say uh, maybe the cat wasn't dead. Maybe the cat was just pretending to be dead to get away from evil Wall Street bankers who then dropped it out a window and probably killed it. But um, <laughs> sorry, it's a quite quite disturbing quite imagery. Yeah, this is pretty grim. But uh, no, I prefer my cats uh, very much alive. That's That's what it comes down to. Oh, me too. Me too. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's difficult to ascertain, isn't it, if we are a dead cat bouncing or a, an ailing cat, you know, making a genuine recovery. Yeah. Um, too early to say, we need a vet. We need the super vet to tell us what's going on. <laughs> All right, let's have a question. Okay, this is from Nick Howell on Twitter at Nick4768. And he asks... How disappointed are you that Arsene Wenger didn't celebrate the victory yesterday in a Nelson Vivas manner? And this <laughs> is an illusion. If you haven't seen the clip of Nelson Vivas, who's a manager these days, I forget where, but he was sent off. He was dismissed from the touchline. And, I mean, could you describe what followed, Andrew? It was extraordinary, wasn't it? He, 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 to say he took umbrage at the decision to dismiss <laughs> him from the sideline would be understating this in a, in a really big way. Basically, when he was dismissed, a switch went off in his head, like a rage <laughs> switch. It was like, Cam Nelson, 
angry Nelson. It was as the other box people opened. Said, yeah, exactly. The box opened in his head, and he just went. He lost his mind. He literally lost his mind. Uh, people have compared it to the Incredible Hulk. You've got to say Nelson Vivas is in good shape. He is in good shape for a man of whatever he is, 45, 50 years of age. But he, he had a, a pristine white shirt on, and he, he ripped it open, uh, exposing his chest, and then went storming off, and he was trying to take the shirt off. And I think it must have got caught on his watch or his Fitbit, and he couldn't get one of the <laughs> sleeves off. But he, he as he's stalking off the pitch in, in, in just a, the most incredible temper, you see his back the rippling muscles of his back. And there, I'm not quite sure what the artwork was, but it was, his back is almost entirely tattooed. It was like, uh, did you watch the TV series Hannibal? I didn't, I'm afraid. Well, the the the, the killer guy, I can't remember his name now. Uh, I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, uh, is it is it, Francis is it Hannibal Do- like in Yeah, Hannibal Lecter. Go on. Uh, Francis Dollarhide, yeah. I think is his name. It's like the Red Dragon, that's who he is, the Red Dragon. And he has all oh, this Oh, the Red Dragon, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. He's got all this mad artwork on the back of his uh on his back. This these huge tattoos, a big dragon of course is is tattooed onto his back and he's the he's the serial killer. He's the guy, "Do you see? Do you see? Look at what I have done." And Nelson Vivas was like the Red Dragon. Storming off that pitch, going off down the tunnel, getting into his car, and then going and kidnapping someone and brutally murdering them and flaying them alive. I assume that's what he did afterwards. Um, so would I have liked to see Arsene Wenger celebrate the win in that way? I'm not sure. I don't think Arsene Wenger should have, have gone into rage mode at winning, but certainly there was a lot to enjoy about what Nelson Vivas did. Yes, there was. I'm not sure Arsene Wenger is quite in the shape that Nelson Vivas is as well. I mean, I don't know. We saw those beach photos a couple of years ago. Yeah. He may have bulked up a little bit since then. But uh, it was it's good to see Nelson Vivas uh, probably looking more animated now than he ever did when he was even playing for Arsenal. So, And also a potential successor there to Arsene Wenger. People keep asking the question, who's it going to be? My money's on Vivas. Get Nelson in. That's right. I mean, he's got he's got the passion. passion. Yes, the passion. Yeah. That's what we need. Passion, and he has mucho pasión. He really does. Absolutely. If you haven't seen the video, just check it out. You'll find it on YouTube or on Twitter or wherever. Just Nelson Vivas sent off and just watching awe at, at what he does. It's uh, it's it's remarkable. Um, yeah, it was it was very very enjoyable. So uh, here, here's a question. It's come up from a couple of. Uh, uh, from a couple of people, but this is from Humas Teal, who's at WheelieBin101. And he wants to know, what are both your thoughts on players hugging in the tunnel before the kickoff? Yeah, I actually didn't see this, I, I have to be honest. I heard it, it came up on Match of the Day. I mean, how, how bad, how bad, how, how intimate was it, let's say? Uh, I don't know. I think Monreal might have had a bit of a hug with uh, David De Gea and... I, can't, I, I don't know. There would have been a couple of like high fives or whatever, but uh, you know, it wasn't. It's, it's uh, not. It wasn't, yeah, I mean, uh, it's not Keenan Vieira, is it? I guess. No, it's not. Uh, but they weren't. But, they weren't snogging either. You know, there was no. There was no French kissing or anything. Sure, sure. Or Spanish, as the case may be. I um. I, I don't really have. <laughs> I don't really have a big issue with that. To be honest with you, I, I think that you know. The, to be honest, we all knew that this fixture. Perhaps wasn't 
wasn't quite the sort of titanic clash that it, that it might have been in other circumstances. And players are going to behave like that. I mean, we all remember Andre Santos getting absolutely pilloried for what happened at Old Trafford, but that was midway through a game and... To be, to that be honest, was, that was Van that... Persie's fault as well. Van Persie knew exactly. fine well what he was doing. He fucking fucked <laughs> Andre Santos in a big way. Yeah, I, I actually, I actually remember thinking that I felt the the reaction to that was a bit over the top. I'm sure someone can dig me out and say that I said opposite at the time, but on reflection, it does feel a little bit crazy. I mean, I guess we were all very emotional about what happened with Van Persie, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not particularly bothered. I think, <sighs> look. I, I sort of hope in the cup final it's maybe not a bit like that, but in this particular game, I, I'm not really bothered. And they're going to do it anyway. I mean, they know each other. They're mm. friends. They're international colleagues for the most part. Uh, I think it's inevitable and it would be... And I, and I don't believe that be it behaving like that means that you can't then focus and be a professional during the 90 minutes. Well, exactly. Doesn't the result show Doesn't the result show that? Arsenal won the game 2-0. Uh, you know, Monreal had a hug with De Gea. De Gea had a hug with Monreal. You know, which one of them... You know, was it because they had a hug that that Manchester United lost? Of course not. Of course not. You know, I think we we like to see uh, rivalry. We like to see players who are focused on the game. But you know, at halftime, Oxley Chamberlain went off having a good chat with Wayne Rooney. Rooney doing that mm. thing where he puts your hand in front of your mouth so so nobody can see what you're saying on the TV. No lip readers out there can can do it. But they were having a a laugh and a joke going off the pitch at halftime. Did it make any difference? Oxley Chamberlain still put in the cross that uh, that Welbeck headed home. Um, so you know, I, I think it's too easy to read things into those situations that aren't really there, that aren't also that aren't really relevant to the game. You know, um, yeah. So yeah, look, if players hate each other, I'm all right with that. I don't really care. Um, but if there are two friends in the tunnel who want to say hello to each other before they go out on the pitch. I don't really see the problem with that either. It's not as if they're going to go easy on their mate. You know, if you play football against your mate or football against your brother even, you know that you're you're going to give them a harder time, really. Of course. I know yeah, my yeah. brother always does when, when I play against him in five-a-side. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, likewise, likewise. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't really have any particular issue with it at all. Um, should we have another question? Sure. This is from... Niall Shannon. This is one of those things where someone's asked a question that I kind of agree with, so I'm just going to read it out to secretly promote my own views. Um, it's at Niall Mitch 14 on Twitter. Niall asks, would you consider moving the Ox to the left wing back position and putting Bellerin in as right wing back? I don't know why we need to play Gibbs. I, I would have no real issue with that at all. Oxlade-Chamberlain has played a bit on the left-hand side. I do think that the, mm. the reason Gibbs is playing is because Monreal is being pressed into action as a centre-half. I don't think it's because Arsene Wenger thinks that Kieran Gibbs is, you know, the long-term solution for left wing back or indeed his best option there. But he's got no Mustafi. He's got no Mertesacker. He obviously didn't want to play Gabriel after uh, what happened at, at White Hart Lane. But... Uh, in general, no, it's not something I would have a problem with. And I think I said as much a couple of weeks ago, either on the blog or on here on the podcast, that certainly Oxlade Chamberlain could play that left wing back role pretty well. Um, and that would mean you've got two really nice options with Bellerin on the right hand side, Oxlade Chamberlain on the left hand side. But I do think it will be Monreal as soon as Monreal is not needed at, at centre half. 
Yeah, I'm sure it will be. I'd be interested to see Oxley chamberlain and Bellerin in the same team at wing-back. Uh, yeah, and I think, you know, obviously, maybe Osmenga's a bit worried about Ox defensively on that side, but I think if you had Monreal in as the left-sided centre-back, you know, he's a, a, a more naturally defensive player who would offer some cover, and it's not as if Oxley chamberlain is that hot defensively, even on the right. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, look, it's... Um, it's something to consider if you're sort of looking at the problem of Oxlade Chamberlain and Bellerin and how you squeeze them into the same team. Although, it's possible that if Granite Shaka does have an injury problem, maybe Oxlade Chamberlain will be the guy to step inside and, and get some game time in there. So, oh, that's interesting. Uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that because we did have, we did have a question. Um, let me see. Oh, gosh. Where is it gone? Oh, yeah, from uh, Jonas82, who's at JoeV82, who says... Where is El Nenny? It's a great question. <laughs> it's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. I guess he's just not making the bench at the moment. Is that is that is that it? I mean, it was a strong bench yesterday. Some good players on there. There was no talk of him being injured. Certainly, there was no talk of him being um, unavailable. Just not picked. Just not picked. I mean, that's quite extraordinary, really, given. Given how consistent he's been generally when he has been asked to play games, uh, but yeah, looking at the bench yesterday, there's no one on there. You know, you've got your Gabri- you've got Gabriel, Giroud, Ospina, Walcott, Iwobi, Bellerin, Cochlear. You can see why all of those players were included. So maybe he was just the unlucky unlucky man. Um, I guess that's a bit of a worry for him. He, he'd be in contention though, wouldn't he, to come straight in for Xhaka potentially if he is available. Yeah, certainly for, from the point of view of a guy who can keep things moving and, and just circulate the ball through the midfield. Um, doesn't have the range of passing of, of Xhaka, but, you know, he's he's very much on the outs uh, for a guy who's never really had what you would consider a bad game for us. He's never had a truly outstanding game either, I don't think. He's never been that guy who's completely dominated the midfield, but he's just really, really reliable, sort of 7 out of 10 reliable. So he, he's mm. a little bit unfortunate to be on the out, but I hadn't considered Oxlade-Chamberlain as an option for the um, for midfield. So, Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it might seem odd given that he's doing pretty well at right wing-back, but if Arsene does have any intention of you know, giving Hector Bellerin a go mm. in that position, and, and he, he still talks about the Ox as a central player, it feels like a kind of temporary thing, potentially him being out on the flank. So, he, and, and he does have the ability to pick those passes from deep in the manner that Shaka does. Um, mm. Maybe a bit more adventurous than El Nenny in that regard. So yeah. that'll be an interesting one if, if Shaka does miss out on Wednesday. All right. Mighty Igor at Mighty Igor uh, says, It appears Sesk will be surplus to requirements at Chelsea next season. Perfect replacement for Santi? Sesk Xhaka Axis? Question mark? Question mark? I don't know about that. In, just in terms of, I don't know... I don't know what Seth's best position is these days. He's tended to play for Chelsea in a more advanced role, and, they, and they've kind of gone with Kante and Matic, haven't they, who are more physical, more yeah. offensive players as their holding pair. I kind of think that if you're looking at Sesk, uh, he's more likely to be a considered an option if, if say, Meza Ozil was no longer at the club. I think he's he's better in the more advanced areas of the field, although he's 30 now, 10-30, I think, last week, Seth Fabregas, so maybe like Santi Cazorla. Uh, he will settle into a more defensive role in the coming years. Look, for all that's happened with him, he remains one of my favourite Arsenal players, certainly one of our best players of the Premier League era. And I have to say, I, I would still 
I think I would still take him back, actually. I still think there's a few good years left in Cesc Fabregas, even if he's not playing for you week in, week out. I think he's got nine assists in the Premier League this season, and he's not been a, a regular at all. So I think that tells you something about his creative qualities. I would not... I don't think I would say no. What about mm. you? Oh, I love me some Cesc. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm an old romantic. What can I tell you? I, I, I just love him as a player. I think he's still a fantastic player. Um... I'd have him back. Why not? Mm. Fuck it. You know, we, we've got to be a bit more cynical about our transfer business. Let bygones be bygones. Um, you know, it's not as if he didn't... Uh, it's not as if he turned us down to go to Chelsea. You know that way. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we, didn't, we didn't take up the option that we had on him. So what's the guy going to do? Sit down and just not play football ever again? I don't think that's the. Uh, I don't think that's the a realistic possibility. Um, yeah, I think he's uh, still a brilliant player. The uh, capable of of producing things that maybe a team uh, like us needs from time to time. Just that vision. Um, but look, I don't think it's going to happen. But you know, I, I I would. I would. Why not? It would be nice and get Senderos back in too as one as one of the centre halves. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> relive the glory days. Um, let's have this. Let's have a jolly question. This is Joaquin, who's at Morning Pint from the Morning Pint Arsenal podcast. He asks, "What are your favourite match-winning goals against Manchester United?" Oh well, there's the obvious comparison, isn't there? The the goal that Welbeck scored is very, very similar to the goal that Thierry Henry scored. Uh, I, I put it up on Twitter almost immediately afterwards going, remember that goal that yeah. Henry scored a few years ago? And people went, yeah, not necessarily a few years ago. That was 10 years ago, which made me oh, feel shit. fucking really old. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the Abue cross, and that was a that was a last gasp winner. Um, I obviously like the 1979 FA Cup final goal, Alan Sunderland scoring, yeah. and... One that I watched the other day and I thought, fucking hell, that is a brilliant goal, was uh, David Platt's header in the 3-2 oh, game yes. at Highbury. I think it was 1997, and we'd gone 2-0 up. Uh, Anelka scored a fucking brilliant goal. Do you remember? That was sort of like Anelka announcing himself as as a player, as somebody who had the ability to, to really play yeah. top-level football. He smashed in a shot past Schmeichel, and then Vieira scored this really quite odd curling goal a shot from the from the edge of the box I love that goal too yeah, yeah, yeah. it was great and United came back into it. I think Gilles Grimondi was playing centre half Teddy Sheringham maybe scored one or two goals twice I think maybe yeah so that was that was really annoying then we have a corner in the final couple of minutes Nigel Winterburn takes the corner and David Platt who was never really my favourite player uh, because of his gigantic moon head. I just could never... Sure, sure. I could never warm to him because of the size of his big moon head. Used that moon head in a, in a remarkable way. And you could not, if you were drawing a goal place that ball better than than he did uh you know he 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 headed the ball with side spin with dip with pace into just a very very top corner of the goal absolutely brilliant header and uh for me that's one of my favorite goals against manchester united yeah, it was, a, it was a, an incredible header, really, just perfectly arced into the far corner. Sort of as as fascinating an arc as Vieira's, really, uh, in the same game, but mm. just off, off the head, not the foot. Um, what else would you have in there? I guess Mark Overmars in 1998. Oh, yeah. Uh, at Old Trafford. And Sylvain Wiltord has to be a contender, doesn't it? I mean, was Will that George! a winning goal? I think it 
Trafford! Yes. Yeah. That was clinching the title at Old Trafford. And that, that, um, that provided that brilliant moment, didn't it, with, with Canu, where Wiltor, the camera's on Wiltor, and he's got his hands yeah. in the air, and Canu leaps over him, but you've got no perspective on the shot. You, it, it looks like... It looks like uh, Will Tord is standing up and Canu has somehow leapt about six foot into the air to hurdle him. Um, but, but, of course, Will Tord is, <laughs> is on his knees. <laughs> I, be- I believe that Canu celebration was the inspiration for Francis Coquelin's attempted block against Wayne Rooney <laughs> at the weekend. Yeah, some good goals. Some good goals down the years. I'm sure we're forgetting a couple as well. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, even in the FA Cup quarterfinal a couple of years ago, Danny Welbeck scoring at Old Trafford, that was a uh, a nice one. Um, was Thierry Henry's great goal against United a winner, the the clip and the volley? That was a 1-0, I, I think. No. That was a 1-0 win, yeah. as far as so I that can would remember. Have to, that would have to be in there. Um, but yes, I, I think that over Mars won in 1998, because that really was a huge step towards uh, Arsene Wenger's first Premier League title in English football. Mm. Another, uh, before we move on, another goal I like against uh, United is, is an Henri one. I think it was a one-all draw at Highbury, but he just picked the ball up about oh, 35 yeah. yards from goal and just unleashed a rocket of a shot. He hit the ball so hard. Roy Carroll, it went straight at him, but Carroll just couldn't get his hands up in time. Amazing hit from, from Henri. Yeah. He played up front with uh, Jose Reyes in that yes. game, I seem to recall. Yeah. Uh, it was around the time there was a lot of talk about, you know, would, did they pass to each other? <laughs> would, would they collaborate on the pitch? And I remember I think Reyes passed to him for that goal. Everyone was terribly excited about that. Uh, but yeah, Arsene, Martin Tyler's commentary on that goal, it's thrashed in, he says. He's thrashed, thrashed in from Omar. Well, yeah. All right, yeah, that's a good one. Um, but yeah, there have mm. been many down the years. Um, okay, here's a, here's a question from Eric Sobey, who's at Sobey underscore AFC. Who are the all-time members of the Danny Welbeck imperfect but likable all-star team? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but Danny Welbeck's probably the captain, isn't he? I mean, uh, he is he is frustrating at times, but the most likable of footballers. Mm. Um, who else would you have in there? I'm just trying to think now. Uh, I mean, you know, I guess guys like... Johan Juru, very likable chap, excellent on the social media, really good at hosting for Arsenal Fan TV, but not not uh, not the perfect defender in his Arsenal days in any respect. No, Podolski, would he be one of those? Yeah, I guess he would actually. I guess he would. Um, great character, but some tactical question marks. Uh, I'm just trying to think who else now. Yeah, I'm going to have to go through. I mean, Man- Manuel Almunia was a very nice guy, by all accounts, very popular <laughs> in the dressing room. You know, that's your goalkeeper right there, I think. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I like... I, I, there's just too much baggage for me. I don't I don't dislike Almunia at all um, as a person, but I can't quite bring myself to, you know, get on board. Embrace the, him and I. What about um, Carl Jenkinson at the back? Yeah, that's a good one. That's definitely a good one. Um yeah, Jenkinson would be a, a really good one. You can't not like Carl Jenkinson, for goodness sake. Um, you know, that that guy is, is Mr. Arsenal. He, he, he breeds Arsenal. Breeds Arsenal? Breathes Arsenal. He breeds Arsenal players in a laboratory. Yes. He gets, the, he gets Jose Mourinho to suck DNA out of people and uses it to uh, <laughs> re-inject into our academy prospects. Um, 
I'm just trying to think other likable players. I mean, until recently, you would have had Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain firmly in that category, I imagine. Um, but maybe he's turned a bit of a corner there. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, Kim Shalstrom. Yeah, why not? Why not? You need a penalty taker. For sure. Um, who else have we got in there? I get, Is Joel Campbell one of those? Yeah, I guess he is, actually. Poor old Joel. I haven't thought about him much this season. Have you? No. I'm not, I'm, I can't necessarily <laughs> say I'm, I'm missing him, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, because we got a perfect replacement in Lucas Perez. Uh, Lu- Lucas Perez could be one of those as well. Yes, Lucas Perez. I do see the stories from him talking about a possible... Ret- I mean, you never know the context, really, with some of these foreign quotes, but talking mm. about a possible return to Deportivo at some point. Uh, still, he's, he's sort of first... For the first time, he's sort of confirmed that he wishes he'd played more. And I don't think he's, I don't think he's the only one who thinks that about his season, to be honest. No, no. Um, it's, a bit, it's a bit of a shame, actually, because he's got some, some very useful qualities, I think. Um... Yeah, there's there's probably a good few, but we'd have to take a lot of time to go through the uh, through the squads and uh, and check them out. So, uh, have you got one more? One more question. Let's mm. have a look. Um, I probably do, but I've not got it to hand. So, this bit of me talking will contain no useful information. It's literally just, just filling time. Filling time until you can scroll <laughs> okay. and click. And uh, yeah, exactly. You ready? You got and it. And I've done it. Oh, I've done it. Yeah, I mean, that's... that was absolutely seamless, guys. I'm a pro at this. Absolutely. Okay. So, at Charlie Barlow at Chazabar says, "Does the new formation promote less reliance on Alexis Sanchez?" And is that good for next season if he leaves? It depends on what Alexis Sanchez you use, you know? Because um, mm. maybe Alexis Sanchez up front in this formation might be might be really good. Might be really good. Um, but obviously he doesn't feel like he wants to play there because he wants to get involved uh, with the ball. He wants to come to the ball and be on the ball as much as possible. Which you can do, I don't think, if you're playing as the the lone striker in in this formation. Um, I thought I thought it was interesting that we won yesterday's game without Alexis making a really telling contribution, either in terms of a goal or an assist. I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing. I just thought it was interesting that we could win a yeah. game without him uh, because he has been pretty much a match winner for us. And when you when you think about our games against the big teams, you would assume that someone like Alexis Sanchez will uh, will make a, a contribution in some way. Uh, we spoke earlier about the the fact that he and Ozil come a bit too deep. Whether they whether they blossom into this system, I'm I'm not quite sure. But you know, you feel like you could probably put someone like Alex Iwobi into the team in Alexis's position yesterday, and would it have made that much difference to the way that we played? Do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting point. I don't I don't know. I guess it as much as it depends what Alexis you get, it kind of depends which Iwobi you get, if it's the one from the first half of the season or the, sure. or the second. Uh, it is interesting this whole system thing. I mean we we are existing, as I say, in quite a short-term world at the moment. I mean, the end of the season is always a bit like that, but it makes such a difference to ha- our summer planning, doesn't it? And as much as you want to have flexibility about your tactics, you do feel like <clears throat> if Arsene Wenger remains at the helm or even if a new manager comes in, we kind of need a, a decision on what is our system because, you know, 
player recruitment, everything kind of has to be built around that. Mm. Um, and whether or not Alexis stays or goes, of course, will be a, a huge factor in that department. Mm. All right, I've got one more uh, before we go. This is from Ben H, who's at Neon Away Shirts, and he says, "Are Arsenal Football Club trying to get free Maltesers by eating them on mm. the bench, a la Arscast Extra with Hartley's Jam? Well, I think, to be honest, they have taken a, a leaf out of our book, haven't they? They've taken mm. a, a, ru- a ruffle from our crisp packet there. They sure I, have. I, look, I, what did you make of... Uh, it wasn't the players, was it, eating the Maltesers? I, I, I don't really know. I mean, there seemed to be a bag of Maltesers being passed around on the bench. Sure. Um, we don't know whose fingers were in there, to be honest. Yeah, that's the thing uh, about Maltesers. You've got to pour them out of the bag into a hand. You can't have... It's like the old... It's a uh, hygiene issue. Yeah, it's like the double dip thing from Seinfeld. You know that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know so. that way. But I, I, I think... Uh, look, I really like a Malteser, to be honest. I think they're an, an underrated chocolate, if anything. I think time has maybe lessened people's appreciation for them, but they still have a lot of value. I'm glad to see Maltesers out there. And if, if we line up next season with Maltesers on the front of our shirt, I would definitely find that easy to go. It would it'd be sensible too because it's red and white. I think that Maltesers, the Maltesers Stadium, <laughs> why not? Malteser Arena? The Malteser Arena, that's got a ring to it. I mean, you know, we, we're locked into, we're handcuffed into these long-term Emirates deals, mm. but if, if Maltesers come in hard enough, you never know what's possible. Yeah, I'm not mad for Maltesers now, I have to say. Not really? Mad for them. Yeah, just every so often you get a, you get a bad one. You get a wrong one. That's true. What's going on there? The mutant Maltesers. Yeah, the disc- they're all the, like, uh, like chewy and you're going, uh, is this like a, a bee's nest or something that's inside this chocolate? Or is it supposed to be yes. a crispy, crunchy, malty easer? Whatever an easer is. The, I mean, that's the whole point I, of them. But every so often you just get this one where you go, uh, this is like eating, I don't know, it feels, do you know what it is? You know what? I'm pretty. I'm figured it out just as we've been speaking about it. Jose Mourinho has sucked the DNA out of Ramirez and infiltrated yeah. the Mars factory, and in a nefarious way, managed to create at least one mutant Malteser that goes into every bag that is basically just the powdery disgusting Ramirez DNA wrapped in chocolate and everyone who eats a bad Malteser is eating Ramirez's DNA and they have Ramirez inside them right now. And he's hoping that this will enable a whole new generation of Ramirez's to be Mm. born. I mean, it makes so much sense. It must be true. It can't be anything other than true. What an... Just when you thought his evil knows no bounds... He's infiltrating the Malteser factory. Well, that's it. That's me and Maltesers done. I would suggest uh, very uh, to the Arsenal bench, whoever had those Maltesers, out. Get them out of the club. Throw them out. Fire them. Maybe we have to make... Maybe we have to do like with zombies. We're going to have to burn them. <laughs> I think uh, Jose Marine gave those Maltesers to the Arsenal bench as a, as a supposed peace offering before the game to Arsene Wenger. Yeah. And then... You know, that was all just part of his plan. Yeah. Uh, uh. Yes, it's going to be a shame to set fire to Shad Forsyth because he's eaten a Malteser. <laughs> but uh, 
I don't see that we have any alternative. No, look, you you just can't let the in, the infestation spread. It'll be like World War Z at London Colony if this uh, if this keeps going. So. <laughs> All right, well... We um, no choice. No, we don't. But look, we have got a game on Wednesday against Southampton. Let's keep fingers crossed for that. We will look back on that game and look ahead to a, a, a fun-filled trip to Stoke at the weekend on the Arsecast on Friday. Don't forget to get your tickets for the Arsecast Extra live from the Union Chapel website, unionchapel.org.uk. There are only very few tickets uh, left, uh, as far as I know, so they could all be gone today. So get moving if you want to go to the show. Um, we'll be back next Monday to talk about what happens next weekend. So until then, folks, thanks a million for listening. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.